Several years ago, Time Magazine put together a list of the 100 most significant people in history. And they looked at political figures, at religious teachers, at philosophers, authors, inventors. They aggregated data, looked at a million different source opinions. And their goal was to determine who has shaped civilization, who has been the biggest influence in our history as a human race. And number one on their list, probably not a big surprise, but number one on their list was Jesus Christ. And when you think about it, and you, you think about art and music and literature and language, including profanity and architecture and institutions, it's hard to argue. Jesus has had more influence than anyone has ever had throughout history. Now, if that's true, then Jesus ought to be studied by everyone. I mean, if you're a student of history, if you're a student of philosophy, if you care about leadership, if you want to be a communicator, you ought to study the person of Jesus. But if you're a Christian, then this is the most important thing. It ought to be. I mean, if we are known as Christians for devoting ourselves to one thing, shouldn't it be this? The life of Jesus, how he lived, who he was, what he did, and what he said. And of all the things that Jesus said, perhaps the most profound block of teaching in, in all the, the Bible is Matthew 5 to 7. The Sermon on the Mount, it's regarded by many as the most profound thing Jesus ever taught. It's, it's viewed as the greatest sermon ever. And Jesus, he begins this teaching, or it begins this way. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And for the next 111 verses, Matthew records what Jesus said. And we are going to lean into that as a church community. We're going to study Matthew 5, 6, and 7 for the next four months. And, and here's the goal in this series, even today the goal is for us to listen to Jesus. Now, maybe you're thinking, listen to Jesus, really? Or, yeah, I already listened to Jesus. I mean, Matt, I'm here at church, right? I, I listen to Jesus. Let me just say that listening to Jesus is not our default position. In fact, I would argue the default human position and the position I have in my heart and you, it's to be hard of hearing. Have you ever had your hearing tested before? I played drums growing up and uh, no ear protection at all until college and so I've lost some of my hearing and I, I went to get my hearing tested when I was in college and it's, a, it's kind of a nerve-wracking experience. What they do is they say, we're gonna put these headphones on you, you're gonna stand in that booth over there, there's a glass window and we're gonna test your ability to hear different frequencies. And so whenever you hear a sound, you raise your hand so we know you can hear it. So, okay, got it. So I'm in, in that booth, and I'm, I've got the headphones on, and I'm listening really hard, and I hear a sound right as we begin. I raise my hand. I heard it. And then another one, raise my hand. And then I'll never forget, there's a period of silence. 
And it goes on. And as this, this silent, I'm thinking, like, are they still doing the test? Do we stop it? And I, I start to think, uh-oh. There's stuff that I'm not hearing. And my hearing overall is okay, but I have lost my ability to hear certain frequencies. And that's true of many of us today. Listen, spiritually, that can happen and does happen to all of us. There are frequencies of the voice of Jesus that we don't hear. And so the goal for us as as a church community is to lean into and listen to Jesus. And this sermon by Jesus may be the hardest thing to listen to that he ever taught. You know, one orthodox Jewish rabbi, we don't know who it was, but this quote is so profound. He, He says this about the Sermon on the Mount. He says, the history of Christianity is the history of Christians trying to evade the sermon on the mount and avoid living according to its plain meaning. As Vody Bauckham used to say, if you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. And I, I read that and I think, oh, but can I argue with it? I don't know if I can. And so the goal for, for us today is to look at three reasons why it's hard to listen to Jesus. And so we're gonna look at three, and the goal is to prepare our hearts for what Jesus might wanna say to us over these next four months. And to use a gardening metaphor, what we're trying to do is get into the soil and prepare our hearts for what's to come. I mean, in my adult life, I have failed as a gardener. Um, We used to own bushes and plants at our house when we bought it that have died as a result of my lack of gardening. But I know one thing to be true, that if you're going to plant something new, a new bush, a new, a new fl- you know, f- flowers, first you have to prepare the soil. You've got to remove the, the, the weeds. You've got to loosen the ground. You've got to get it ready for what's coming. And that's what we're trying to do today is get our hearts in a position, again, where we can listen to Jesus. Now, the the first reason I wanna point out that it's difficult to listen to what Jesus wants to say to us through the Sermon on the Mount is we think it's not for us. We think the sermon, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's not for us, let me explain. A key interpretive question, whenever you're looking at the Bible, including this passage, is who is it for? So who is this sermon for? Now, that might seem like a simple question, but it's not universally agreed on as far as the answer. It's not simple, and it's very important theologically. So a little context for us about when Jesus preached this sermon. His first audience, Matthew 5, when he preached this, was the Jewish people. And it was in the context of the arrival of Jesus as the Messiah. Now, the Jews, as a nation, they rejected Jesus. And later, in the unfolding plan of God, salvation was extended to the Gentiles, to non-Jews. And Romans talks about this, how how we as Gentiles, we've been grafted 
onto the tree that is the people of God. God still has a plan for Israel, but now, by grace through faith in Jesus, we are a part of the people of God. Now, based on this unfolding plan of redemption, and when the sermon was given, some argue that Jesus' words here in Matthew 5 to 7 are for the Jews and only the Jews. They're not for, for us, we're the Gentiles. The church wasn't born at that point. But I don't think that interpretation holds up for several reasons, primarily Jesus, who said things like this in Matthew 28, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, this is to his disciples, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. Jesus intended for his disciples and for us to teach new disciples of Jesus to obey what he said to do. He saw continuity between his teachings to those Jews in that day and us. And the first followers of Jesus, the writers of our New Testament, they understood this, which is why the teachings of Jesus echo throughout the rest of the Bible. Now, another argument people make is that this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, is for unbelievers. It's for people who have not put their faith in Jesus. And there's a couple variations of this. There is the soteriological view, which says this sermon lays out the demands of salvation. And to be saved, we must do everything in the sermon, all 111 verses. But that can't be right because that interpretation conflicts with the whole teaching of the New Testament. And if what Jesus teaches in this sermon is the standard, nobody's getting in, except for Jesus. An another way of, of viewing this as for unbelievers is the penitential view. This is a little more common. And the, the key here is that the Sermon on the Mount is given to, to make us aware of our sin and our inability to save ourselves. Jesus, what he's doing is he's amping up the law. You have heard it said, don't murder. I say don't even be angry. And this view says what Jesus is doing is he's trying to demonstrate our incapacity to earn our salvation. He's trying to drive us to repentance, as the title of the view says. Now, this sermon will absolutely expose our hearts. It's going to mess with us, and it will drive us to our knees if we're listening. But I don't think you can say it's intended only for unbelievers. The problems with that interpretation are multiple, but primarily, though there were unbelievers present when Jesus taught this, his primary audience is his followers, according to Luke and Matthew. And throughout the sermon, Jesus, he calls his hearers, the audience, salt and light. And he refers to God as their father. And he references their obedience to him and their service of him and them receiving eternal rewards. So I don't think you can say this is only for unbelievers. A third way and the right way 
In my view, to answer the question, who is this for, is to say that this sermon is for disciples. It's for disciples. Again, look at how Matthew sets up the sermon. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them. Now, that word for disciples, it's the Greek word mathetes, and it, it means students, learners. This is not the 12 disciples yet, because they had not even been formed as a group. Some of them were present, but not all. So who is this when he says his disciples came to him? This is everybody from the previous chapter that was following Jesus. And everyone who wanted to learn from him. Again, think of the word disciple, learner. This is where we need to be careful to not read something into the text that's not there. In the Gospels, in general, they don't focus on one moment of conversion. Acts does, the epistles do at times. But what the Gospels focus on is the identity of Jesus and on increasing faith to him. So who is this sermon for? Again, this is the important part. If you've been tuning out, who is this for? This is for anyone who wanted to learn from Jesus then, and it's for anyone who wants to learn from Jesus now. Now, I want to give you a question to consider. In fact, I'm going to give you three questions today, and these are meant to be pondered as we try to prepare the soil of our hearts for what Jesus might want to say to us. And maybe one of these three questions becomes a rock in your shoe that messes with you this week, and that might be a good thing. And here's the first question I want to ask you based on the context of this. Do I believe that these words of Jesus are for me? Do you believe these words are for you, inviting you to learn from him. And let me just say, by the way, that, that sometimes in church world, we put pressure on people right away to believe all the right things and behave all the right ways. Sometimes we even put pressure on people to behave the right ways before they believe, which is really messed up. But what's fascinating, think about this, Jesus invited people to learn from him before they believed in him and definitely before they behaved. I mean, even just the disciples, Jesus doesn't ask them until they've been following him for a year. He doesn't ask them, who do you say I am? And if he had asked them on that first day, they would have failed the test. See, you could be in the company of Jesus and learn from him before you believed and before you behaved. And I hope we're that kind of a church. I really do. Where people can be here and be welcome before they believe and before they behave. Matt, are you saying, Matt, are you saying belief's not important? No, that's not what I'm saying. But for Jesus... Belief in him was not a barrier to learning from him, and it shouldn't be for us either. 
You may be here today and you do not believe in Jesus. You may be here today and you are going through the motions or somebody dragged you to church. Maybe you've been hurt by the church. Maybe you've been hurt by Christians and your faith is hanging on by a thread. Maybe you are wrestling with deep doubts about the Christian faith that you were handed, that you grew up with, but you can't even talk about it because you're so scared or you don't have anybody safe in your life to process that with. Let me just say, if you're struggling with any version of it, let me just say to you, I'm so glad that you're here. And I hope that you stay with us in this series to learn more about Jesus and the way of Jesus and not what culture has said or your experience has said or other people, but to learn what Jesus says about following him. Now, the the second reason why it's difficult for us to listen to Jesus through the Sermon on the Mount is because we determine what's right and wrong. We are the ones who determine what's right and wrong. We, We are living in a unique cultural moment right now. Philosophy professor Charles Taylor in his book, A Secular Age, he he talks about how the West has changed over the past 60 years from a culture of authority to a culture of authenticity. Meaning, we used to live by what external authority structures, God, the Bible, tradition, we used to live by what external authority structures told us But now, most people in the West live from what our internal, authentic self wants to do. And and this idea has gotten worked into psychology, the fabric of our society in a profound way. And John Mark Comer, in his book, Live No Lies, he talks about the implications of this. But one of them is that we have come to believe today that repression of desire is bad And that your unhappiness, my unhappiness, it's because other people are telling us that we can't do stuff. And that's why we have phrases like the heart wants what it wants and follow your heart and you do you and be true to yourself. And the caveat that we add is as long as it doesn't harm anyone. But the problem with that is it requires an agreed upon definition of harm something that we do not have in our world today. And so, each of us, for the most part, we determine what's right and wrong for us. Other people, institutions, they can give us good input, perspective, but the locus of authority is within. Now, hear me, I am not saying that desire, being authentic to what you feel, that your intuition, that any of that is bad. I'm not saying that. Or that you can't trust your desire or intuition. But every age has its idols. And one of ours today is self-determining freedom. And we have absolutely been shaped by that. Don't tell me that we haven't. And it doesn't matter where you fall on the political spectrum. And this is one reason why we need so desperately to hear what Jesus is going to say to us in the sermon. I want to show you how people respond when he's done. Jesus has just given his closing illustration. 
And this is what Matthew says in, verse, in chapter 7, verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed. And that word for amazed, it doesn't mean impressed. Like, wow, Jesus, what a great TED talk. You know, great insight. That word is the Greek word ekpleso, and it, it really means to be overwhelmed. And not always in a good way. It means to be flabbergasted, stunned. Their minds were blown. Why? Why were their minds blown? Well, Matthew tells us, because he taught as one who had authority. Jesus taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. The defining characteristic of the teaching of Jesus was that it came with authority. This is why people were offended by him. Think about it. Jesus was not killed by the Romans for giving really good advice. This is why his own family was offended. This is, this is why people begged him at times to leave the region. Why the, the religious leaders and the Herodians plotted together to kill Jesus. They, they didn't agree on anything. I mean, the Herodians and the religious leaders, but they agreed on killing Jesus. Why? Because of this. Because he spoke with authority. That's what made him a threat. And you wanna know the uncomfortable part about Jesus? His authority extends to us. Recently, I had the privilege of going to Africa and spending some time with a group of pastors that we've been investing in over there. And one of the things that we did, you know, we, we went through the Gospel of Mark, and, and whenever you go through a book slowly and in depth, one of, the, one of the fascinating things is all of the themes that emerge and tie it together. And so one of the things that we had these students do as we studied Mark is we pointed out the theme of authority, and we said, anytime Jesus uses authority, I want you to write it down. And we had a, a chart up on the wall. And so we paid attention as we went through the gospel. And y'all, it is staggering. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry and throughout the book, he claims to have and demonstrates authority over disease, over demons and spiritual evil, over the temple over the interpretation of the law, over the Sabbath, over sin itself, by forgiving sin, over nature, he walks on water. And you know what else? You know what else his authority extends to? His followers. His followers. Tim Keller told a story years ago, and it stuck with me, that in 1970, a Sunday school teacher changed his life when the teacher said to the class, let's assume that the distance between the earth and the sun, 92 million miles, let's assume that that is reduced to the thickness of a sheet of paper. The distance between the earth and the nearest star would be a stack of paper 70 feet high. And the diameter of the galaxy we live in would be a stack of paper 310 miles high. And the galaxy is just a speck of dust in the universe. And then the teacher said this to the class. Jesus holds all of it together with a word. Now, is that the kind of person you ask into your life to be your assistant? 
Y'all, Jesus is not our assistant. He is gonna claim in this sermon to be God. You know, we tend to take the, the teachings of Jesus as suggestions. Frankly, he didn't give us that option. And if Jesus is God, this is so important. Listen, if Jesus is God and you are not, then at times he will say things that deeply challenge and offend you. In fact, that's how you know you're following a real God and not a figment of your imagination. I mean, if, you're, if your God never disagrees with your choices or values, are you so sure that it's God? Or have you reduced God down to a size that you can control? And so here's the penetrating question I wanna ask you to wrestle with today and this week. Do I see myself as being under the authority of Jesus? Do you see yourself being under the authority? And maybe even a more penetrating question would be, Am I willing to submit to Jesus' authority even when it's disruptive? Because that's what the sermon is. I mean, if you let it, it will mess with you. We're not gonna be into the Sermon on the Mount long before Jesus' words start to feel really intrusive because he's gonna talk about money and sexuality and broken relationships and forgiveness and power and loving our enemies and other light and fluffy topics, just like those. And Jesus' vision for our lives, in our vision, they don't always agree. So do you see yourself under his authority? And you know, maybe today you're thinking, well, why should I care then? I mean, if, if Jesus' vision for my life is so different from mine, why not just stick with my own vision? Maybe you're a Christian in the room and you're thinking, Matt, this all sounds really difficult. Why submit myself to that? to Jesus' vision if it's gonna be disruptive. and You know, the, the first followers of Jesus, they thought about throwing it all away, I'm sure, multiple times, but one of the times must have been John 6 because Jesus just said something and people were offended and a bunch of people who were following him, they left. And Jesus turned and he looked at the 12 and he said, you don't wanna leave too, do you? And Peter answered and said, Jesus, to who else would we go? You alone, Peter says, have the words of life. Listen, the words of Jesus, if we're reading them rightly, I believe they're gonna challenge us, they are gonna be difficult, disruptive, but they're also compelling and life-giving and you can't find that anywhere else. He alone has words of life. And with your one wild and precious life, to quote Mary Oliver, with your one life, are you willing to entrust your life to someone else? Who? Who else has a better vision, has a better life-giving vision for you? Is it you? I mean, do we really believe that we have all the answers? It's like Peter said, where else am I gonna go? And so, yeah, these words are going to be tough, but they give life and life to the full. And the, the third reason 
why, finally, the third reason why it's difficult for us to listen is this, we confuse hearing with listening. Every quarter, my kids bring home a report card on how they're doing. I kind of miss this. I wish now I got report cards like, here's how you're doing on the dishes, Matt, and as a dad, and I don't get that kind of feedback now. But my kids, they, they bring home a, a report card, and you know how these work. Part of it relates to conduct, but most of it's about what? It's about knowledge. It's about their comprehension. And here's how report cards work, and grades in general in school. If you know the stuff, you'll get the grade. If you know it. And many of us, that's how we think about spirituality. We tend to measure the health of our spirituality by what we know, what we understand. But for Jesus, the measure was different. I want to read you what Jesus says to end his sermon. He's, he's taught, he said so many things, and then he says this, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. According to Jesus, you didn't get credit for just showing up to hear him preach. You didn't even get credit for agreeing with everything he said. No, according to Jesus, you could do that and be a fool. Jesus was about people doing something with what they heard. And this emphasis is not unique to Jesus. It's throughout the whole New Testament. In fact, the Greek word for obey, it's a compound word that literally means to listen under. Say, Matt, what's the point? The New Testament has no category of listening that does not result in obeying. They're the same thing. And so here's the principle that comes out of what Jesus said. To hear this sermon is to do this sermon. And if we don't do the sermon, then we haven't heard it. And let me just be crystal clear, doing this sermon, obeying Jesus, applying this to our lives, this does not result in us earning God's love or acceptance. We experience forgiveness and eternal life by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ. That's not at stake, regardless of how we respond to this sermon, I believe. But what this sermon, what Jesus is inviting us into is putting our faith into action and following him. See, learning from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, it's not about agreeing, but applying. And Jesus clearly cares a lot about that. And when we don't, again, when we don't apply what we're learning, it's actually dangerous. Because we can believe that we're growing and mature because we're accumulating knowledge, but Jesus says we can be building our life on the sand. I don't think that's about salvation. 
But there's a warning there. That if we don't apply, and it's going to be imperfect. You can't apply all truth at the same time. If we don't do that, it actually has a hardening effect, you all. That's why the scriptures say knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. You can be in church your whole life. You, you can study the Bible. You can go to seminary and know what the Bible says and be defensive and harsh and irritable and prideful. You know, a secret, this is why preaching is dangerous. Because when I study a text and I, I wrestle with it and I come up here, because I know and can articulate biblical truth, people will assume that I've got it down, got it figured out. That I'm mature somehow because I know it. Listen, y'all, maturity, again, it's not measured by what we know for any of us, but by what we do and specifically how we love. That's what the New Testament would say. And this is what the first Christians were known for. Listen, this is what changed the world in the first century. The Bible was not assembled as we know it until 300 AD. And so these early churches, these, these Christians, they were not known for their desire to accumulate biblical truth. What they were known for and what turned the world upside down was that they practiced what they preached. They lived a transformational kind of life. Nobody in the Roman Empire was caring for the sick and the marginalized. Nobody was trying to love their enemies in Rome, and Christians did. And it changed the world. And if we are going to listen to Jesus, we must not confuse hearing with listening. And if I can be so bold, let me just say this. One of the reasons that so many millennials and members of Gen Z are walking away from the church is because they have seen Christians and they have seen churches prioritize the words of Jesus without prioritizing the way of Jesus. And they have said, either rightly or wrongly, that it does not feel real to them. This next generation, they have an extremely sensitive radar for what is fake and insincere. And if the church, if our church, but bigger than us, listen, if we are known more for our political views or our doctrine even, but not being transformed by Jesus and loving the people around us, the next generation will grow more and more disenfranchised and they will walk away. Perfection is not the goal. Matt, are you saying we gotta be, no, perfection's not the goal, but the question is, is our faith tangible? Is it tangible? And the way you know, according to Jesus, is in the doing. It's in the doing. And so again, here's the warning from Jesus. He says, everyone who hears these words and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And everyone who hears and does not do will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The final question, and I told you I was going to try to mess with you through these questions. Here's the question 
that we need to wrestle with as we prepare our hearts to listen to Jesus. Am I willing to follow Jesus by doing what he says to do throughout our study of the Sermon on the Mount? Am I willing to follow Jesus by doing what he says to do throughout our study of the Sermon on the Mount? And we can only do it by his grace and through his spirit. And as we conclude, I want to give you one final point of application. These questions are good. I hope you wrestle with these questions. But if I could encourage you to do one thing this week, it would be simply this. You would pray every day this week, Jesus, show me what it looks like to follow you. Maybe you set a reminder on your phone every morning or on your lunch break every evening. You just say, Jesus, show me what it looks like to follow you. And what if you did it? What if this became more than just a prayer, but it became the the cry of your heart, not just for this week, not just for all of these 16 weeks, but, but for your life. Jesus, show me what it looks like to follow you. What if your ears began hearing frequencies of the voice of Jesus that you haven't heard? And by the Spirit of God, you leaned into what it meant to follow Jesus. What would happen in your life, in your home, in your workplace? Can you imagine? What if, as a church community, this became the cry of our hearts? What if, by God's grace, we all became captivated by this prayer, and it flowed in and through us. How would our workplaces be different, our neighborhoods, our businesses? How would our city be different? For God's glory and for our good, how would they be different? May it be so. May we listen. Will you pray with me? Lord, we, we do pray that you would give us, God, ears to hear. And I know in, in a way as we gather on a Sunday morning, we, I know for my own heart it's easy to be attentive in this space, but God, would you help us truly to be attentive to you, to your voice as we leave today, as we continue to ponder these questions, as we pray this prayer. And God, would you do something in us and through us in the context of this series over the next four months? Would you change us And Lord, we just acknowledge, God, I I acknowledge, we can only do this by your grace. And thank you that you meet us as broken and as limited and flawed as we are. God, you meet us and you walk with us. So, Spirit, we depend upon you. Give us the courage to just take the next step. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.